This is the Fail Fast Podcast. Stories of entrepreneurs who looked at failure in the eyes and didn't give up. With your host, the online sales master, Quinn Amorum. Welcome back to the show, my friends. Today, we have with us a mindset coach for women with an eating disorder recovery. She is a 23-year-old entrepreneur living in Boston, but she's originally from Southern Illinois. She owns a blog, she authored a book, and she built a brand around women finding a balanced, healthy relationship with food once and for all. So uh, Emily actually struggled with her own eating disorder for almost a decade, and we have her here with us today, Emily Formea. Emily, how's it going? Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing really well. I'm very excited to just dive in and talk about, yeah, my experience and then building a business from it. Awesome. So tell me, did I pronounce your last name right? You did. Yeah, okay, you got yes. it. I know. It's, it can be a little tricky. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even ask you before because Emily is just easy, but I'm like, okay, I got it. <laughs> so Emily, like before we start and go deep into it, can you explain, first of all, what is uh, eating disorder in case somebody doesn't know? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I actually love this question. I don't get asked this very often. Um, I deal with my brand is technically around eating disorder recovery because I did have an actual eating disorder and I'm sure we'll go into that. But I also talk to women who just have disorderly eating. And I think the difference is that it really doesn't matter necessarily what the difference is. So I was actually diagnosed with an eating disorder, but I talk to a lot of women who say, you know, how do I know if I have an eating disorder or how do I know if I have a problem with food. And my response is always, it doesn't matter if you actually have an eating disorder or if you just struggle with food in general. If you have a poor relationship to food, you deserve to recover from it. So I actually love that question because in my mind, there really is no difference. If you struggle with food, you don't have to. And whatever they feel more comfortable calling it, um, or if they haven't ever been diagnosed, to me, it's kind of all the same thing. Okay. So it doesn't matter on what side of the scale you are, I mean, no pun intended, but if you eat too much, too little, it, it still is a, a eating disorder, right? We're not talking about the quality of what you eat at this point, right? Right. To me, it's just if you, yeah, if you emotionally eat, if you heavily diet or restrict, if you're someone who counts every single calorie, or if you're, you know, you go on fad diets and you only eat clean, like these kind of trigger things, I did all of them at one point. I struggled with binge eating. I struggled with anorexia, which is where I didn't eat hardly at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's this misconception that, you know, women only struggle with food in one way. And from my experience, I struggled with food in every single aspect, being under eating, overeating. And I think that misconception can sometimes leave women feeling like their eating disorder or disorderly eating isn't as validated as maybe like anorexia, for example, if they, you know, overeat, well, then they're, you know, they don't deserve the recovery or the support. And I just say, if you struggle with food, if food controls your life, if you're constantly thinking about it, like canceling plans around it, then you deserve to not do that. Wow. So canceling plans around it, does that mean when you were under eating, you were afraid to go to public places with friends and restaurants? Yeah, definitely. Like I, um, I can give a little bit of my backstory if yeah, that's yeah. helpful for people to hear because it plays into that. So when I was 12, I started to just diet. I went on my first like quote unquote diet and it was somewhat prompted from, I went to the doctor and I was an athletic kid, went to the doctor. The doctor kind of made an offhanded comment that I could 
you lose a little bit of weight. And as a perfectionist, as a type A type kid, I thought, okay, so I like need to eat perfectly and lose a lot of weight. And that, you know, transcribed to 10 years later, I was still struggling with food, but um, I struggled with anorexia specifically, which is where I would just try to eat as little as possible for about seven years. So through seventh and eighth grade, through high school, and then my early college years. And it totally wrecked my life. And it was so much deeper than just food. Like I would, yeah, I would cancel dinner plans. I would make up excuses to like not eat my own birthday cake. Like it was, it was truly all encompassing. And I thought about food constantly and how to not eat it constantly. But then it flipped when I was in college and I actually started to struggle with binge eating um, where I would just zone out. I would eat thousands and thousands of calories of food within like 20 minutes and I would kind of come back through is what they talk about. And then I would feel guilty and ashamed and then I would start a new diet. And so I've kind of just always struggled with food until about right around when I graduated college, I really just had to make the choice of, am I going to allow food to control my life or am I going to finally take that control back? Wow. So during those stages, if you looked in the mirror, what would you see? Would you see something that's not real? Oh yeah. So I, um, body dysmorphia is kind of when you have an image in your head of what you look like and no one can tell you differently. Your eyes don't see it differently. Like if you look in a mirror, that's just how you think you look. And to anyone listening, I kind of always say, I truly never felt worse in my body than when I weighed my lowest. Like I can remember being back in that mindset and I was much lighter than I was here and now. And I think that's the perfect example that, you know, your happiness doesn't lie in a number on the scale. Um, But I was so much more hyper aware of how I looked and I was so much more judgmental towards myself. And yeah, when I looked in the mirror, I just saw a problem. I I just saw problems to fix. Um, And even then I weighed a lot less than I do now, kind of just to show that like the weight and even the food isn't the real problem with kind of your happiness and confidence. That was what I learned in my recovery. And when, when you were that judgmental of yourself, how were you to others? Would you judge others by the way they were eating, overeating or? Yeah, no, I love these. I haven't asked a lot of these questions. Um, I think actually, and this is something that I run into with my girls, I was actually like the biggest like people pleaser slash like best friend to everyone. Like I would, I would never judge another person based on like what they were eating or what they weighed, or I never even thought about it in the weirdest sense. It was just something ingrained in me saying like, you're not good enough to enjoy like dessert or whatever it may be, or yeah, like she loves her body and she looks amazing. And and I truly believe that. Like, I remember thinking like, she looks so incredible, but I just don't. And I, and I'll never feel confident in my skin. So no, I think it's actually the opposite where we just kind of, we're so bullying in a sense to ourselves, Yes. but I never had that sort of mentality towards others. Okay. Got it. So it's, it's incredible how we can be so mean to ourselves. We're so, we are our worst, uh, what do you call it? Uh, I mean, we judge ourselves more than anybody else. And it's sometimes it goes to the extreme. So what, what made you say, okay, enough of this and I need to get out of it. And how did you? Yeah. So I think, um, I had tried to recover multiple times, like throughout that decade. Like I, I didn't just, I was very unhappy. And I, I always say that it was miserable. It wasn't this like glamorous life of like, 
oh, I'm, you know, really thin and living my best life. Like it was absolutely awful. And so there were multiple times throughout those years that I would try to get help or try to get better. And I'm never, ever like, um, you know, shitting on like medical professionals. Like I am not a medical professional whatsoever and I never claim to be, but I would try to kind of go to therapy or I would try to, um, I was in inpatient when I, uh, like in the beginning, when I lost a great deal of weight, I was hospitalized, but I always felt like they didn't really understand how deep my problem was. And and that's kind of what then prompted me to go through my own recovery and then start my business. Because at the end of the nine or 10 years that I struggled with food, I had just graduated college, I'd moved states. And I kind of just had to look at myself in the mirror and say like, "M, the problem isn't with food. Like it's never been with food. And all these times prior, when I would try to recover, I would still change food. Like I was changing the wrong variable. I would think, oh, okay. Like, so maybe I'll just eat intuitively and, and I would do that. And then I would start to diet again or, oh, okay, maybe I just need to like not count calories. And I would do that. And because the problem was always just with my self-worth, it was always with just who I was and who I believed I had to be. So I think what changed it was me sitting down and saying, okay, logically, like, you've struggled with food for 10 years and every single time it's ended in pain. Like you've gone through all this pain and you're still unhappy with yourself. You're Mm. still miserable in your body. Like it's ending in pain, but recovery is also painful. And that's what always keeps women from going through it. Like it's scary. It's scary to grow and it's scary to change, but it ends in pain free. And so I was kind of at this crossroads of like, okay, both paths are painful. Do I choose the one that ends in pain because I've done it for 10 years? Or do I choose the one that ends in me gaining my life back? And I think that that moment, that aha moment of like, the problem isn't with food and it's my choice. I I have to choose which one I go down really empowered me to finally, I think, recover. So Emily, you you obviously were high or at least trying to hide it from everybody around you. But because it lasted uh, nine years or so, um, it wasn't always possible, right? There were people that realized that. Uh, so what, what would, what would they tell you? Would they approach you and ask you things or, and then another question is what, what advice do you have for people that right now see a family member or a friend that they think is going through something similar? What should they do? Yeah. Um, I'm actually working on, I have a book published. I'm actually working on another book and it's called Dear Normal Eater. So it's funny because I wanted to write a novel for people that didn't struggle with food that knew, that knows someone who does. Um, because it's just like any other mental illness. You can have compassion for them, which is like amazing, but it's so hard to understand if you don't truly have it. I always say like some of my best friends really struggle with depression. I don't have depression. So I can try my best, but I don't fully understand it. So um, that's the first thing is I'm kind of writing a book about it. But in this idea of, because when I was struggling with food, the therapists, my family members, my friends always also attacked the food. So it was kind of like, oh, Em, like I see you're not eating a lot. You should eat more. And mm-hmm. I remember like having these panics of like, it, it's so much deeper than that. And of course, in the moment, I couldn't really explain it. And I didn't really understand it myself. But I remember having instances of being like called out for not eating enough or even being called out for like eating kind of quote unquote like weird meals, right? Like if I had a whole meal of just like potatoes, like someone would say something to me. And I think it was because deep down, every time they would kind of comment on my food or comment on my diet, they were triggering that initial pain that came when I felt judged. 
because of my diet and because of my body. And so what I would say to someone who knows someone going through food struggles and yeah, I mean, my family and friends definitely knew, like they definitely knew mm-hmm. it's, it's something that you can't really hide. Um, and I would go through better times and worse times. Right. So I was kind of always teeter tottering with it, but I would say just to, first of all, understand that the person struggling does realize they're struggling. I think there's this misconception that especially if you struggle with an eating disorder, that you're kind of just like broken and you're confused and you don't know what's going on. I was fully aware of what was going on. I just didn't know how to stop it. Um, And so when I would be approached kind of like, almost like, and I understand because like they, they cared about me, but I think when I was approached in the sense of like, I was crazy and I like needed to just like simmer down, I knew what was happening. I was just really hurting and didn't know how to fix it. So I think that's the first thing is your family member or friend does know. And the second thing is they do want to get better, but kind of like I said, it's not about the food. So I think trying to change their diet or change their actions with food first is what causes people to relapse. Because if your problem is with yourself and you tell someone like, just eat more, they can do it for a while, but the problem is still there and you're not really getting to the root of the problem. So I think understanding that they know, understanding that commenting on food isn't going to change anything, but what will change something is just being there for them and giving them a space where they feel like they can freely talk about their disorder without being somewhat judged or um, stigmatized for it. Okay. That's, that's a lot. <laughs> now that's, that's good to know that the person is actually aware of it because there are other uh, issues where sometimes a person has a depression and a lot of the times they don't even know it, right? By the time they find out it, it could be probably too late. But in this case, you are fully aware. So when somebody tells you something, you're like, okay, it's not like I didn't know already. I just can't fix it. Yes. Uh, It was almost like people were calling attention to the problem and not really knowing. And I completely understand that this is something I want to change. Not really knowing um, resources to give me for it. It was kind of like, hey, you're not eating enough. Like, hey, you're not eating enough. And, And I'm aware. So you kind of end up feeling attacked and not really supported or understood necessarily. And I think that's why then you try to hide it even more and you try to retract even more because you don't want people to constantly comment on something that you're totally aware of. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, tell us, how did you get into the business uh, where you actually use your struggles, where now you can help others that have similar problem? And that's the perfect place to be because you already know somewhat how they feel, where they are, and where they're going. So can you explain how you how you started and how you got into it? Yeah, so I so I graduated college in May of 2018. And I was just that was kind of when one of the pivotal points of like, okay, like, got to get it together. Um, like I just I just really was so tired of fighting and struggling and just every single day being a battle in my own brain with like food and my workouts and everything. So I would say that year, probably until the following summer of 2019, I went through my own recovery and it was super messy. It was really hard at times. Um, I had amazing days and really rough days and but I just knew, like I kind of said before, like it was going to end. There was a reason that I was doing this. And then around November of last May, um, or I'm sorry, of November of last year of 2019, 
I had kind of been documenting my journey on Instagram, talking about just eating disorder and eating disorder recovery. And I was starting to get a lot of really good yeah, comments and just feedback and all of this. And I started to connect with so many women who felt exactly like I did, where they had tried to recover and they had gone to see a therapist and it had worked for a little bit, but the therapist kind of just gave them a new meal plan. And then, Mm. you know, they followed the new meal plan and like the problem just wasn't with food, but the problem was taking over their life. And so I think through all of that in November of last year, I, I decided that I was going to try to start my own business. And in the beginning of 2020, I started taking on my own clients. Um, in the beginning, I think all the mind drama of like, I'm not a therapist, I'm 23, like, I don't know what I'm doing mm-hmm. was definitely happening. But I just knew that I was the girl that got it. And I was the girl that I needed 10 years ago. And I could say things and I could relate to them and I could understand how they were feeling on such a deep level that, yeah, it's just been the greatest blessing of my life. And so I accidentally kind of fell into it. Okay. No, I like that because I, I personally, I would feel more comfortable uh, with somebody that has been where I am and knows what I'm feeling than somebody that actually maybe has all the studies in the world, but they read it in a book. So there's no feelings when you read it in a book. Sometimes you you can imagine (laughs) them, but um, I mean, it it becomes more, um, more personal when, okay, Emily really understands me because she was there and you were, you were actually on both sides, right? So you did a bit of overeating and then under eating. Mm-hmm. So you, um, you may understand because I did, I did a lot of overeating myself. <laughs> I, uh, the thing is I never had an issue with it. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's some people are just, it's just easier because if you don't have the, um, the psychological issue with it, like, okay, I know I'm overeating. I don't have a problem with it. I'm not hiding it from everybody and I don't care what they think, then you're free. Yeah. But that yeah, the problem is when you don't feel free, right? Mm-hmm. It's the problem. I think the it's the line of I'm being controlled by food. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Overeating. Yeah. You know, having like splurges and loving food. Like there's no, I love food and like, there's no problem with it whatsoever. I think it's when you can sit down and realize whether you're dieting. And, and this is actually... Sometimes I get the question of, oh, so you're like totally against diets. And I'm actually not against anything. I'm against, or I'm, I'm preaching the intention behind your food relationship. So like you just said, like you, you loved food. You would somewhat maybe overeat every once in a while. <laughs> like, but you were totally happy and healthy and balanced and aware of what was going on. Healthy in the sense of your intention, you felt good. That's fine. And people that go on diets for their health, if their intention is, I want to take care of my body and I've been eating kind of junky and I need to, you know, clean it up, blah, blah. I'm totally fine with that. It's when the intention is I cannot eat, I have to lose weight, I'm scared of food, or on the flip side of like me when I was explaining my binges, like I was being controlled. I would go into a haze of just like I'm gonna gorge on everything. I would I would stuff myself and then I would feel awful and miserable. Mm. So my intention was off. Yeah. Wow. So if how how can I put it? When when there's somebody out there, let's say somebody listening to this they know they have that issue. How can they, can they help themselves first of all? Right. So they have an eating disorder. They know about it and everything around us right now. It's like about food. You turn on the TV, you know, you will see 
a commercial for some sort of fast food joint or something. Um, how can anybody defend themselves? And then if they got into, if they got into the problem, how can they get out? I know one of the ways it would be contacting an expert. Yeah, I, right? <laughs> I think um, I think there's two major things that you have to do. Like the moment that you decide you want a better relationship with food or any sort of like self development thing, actually in general, I think the first one is, and I'm speaking from my personal experience, but also from working with my clients. I think we try to like hate ourselves better. So we, we're so angry that we're struggling with food. We hate our bodies. We hate food. We hate, you just kind of hate everything and you're so angry towards your disorder. But what we don't understand is we're actually not being angry towards our disorder. We're being angry towards ourselves. And there's a difference of that. So like, I remember I used to beat myself up mentally for just like, why can't I get it together? Why can't I not struggle with food? Like, why can't I all of these things? And if you think about like an athlete, I don't think that they necessarily perform their best when their coach is just yelling at them like 24 seven, that they're the worst. And so I think understanding that like self-hatred is never going to bring about self-development or self-love. And that's, I think one of the things that made my recovery different was I just loved myself through it. I, I would mess like quote unquote, I would have a rough day or what, or mess up if that's what you want to call it. But I would just love myself for it. And I would love the way where I was here. And now I, I stopped playing the game of like, I'm awful right now, but once mm -hmm. I'm this weight or this body, like I'll be so happy and I'll be so whatever because it never happens that way. So I think it's calling your eating disorder out and saying like, you promised me this fairy tale, like thanks to diet culture of like, well, once I'm this size and once I'm this weight, mm -hmm. my whole world will just fall into place. And it never happened that way. So I think that's the first one is loving yourself through the process. And I think the second one is that if you struggle with food in any way, shape or form, I can nearly guarantee that you're also somewhat of a perfectionist and you're somewhat of a type A, just a little bit more obsessive person. Cause that's me. Like I'm very high strung. I'm very organized. And I know this about myself. And then, and it's because you somewhat then bring that personality into food. And I think the second thing that people can do is you're not going to be perfect in recovery. Like I think so many of my girls go into it saying like, okay, like I'm never going to struggle with food ever again. Mm -hmm. And that's just not realistic. Like it's just not realistic. You're going to, and that's okay. But setting yourself up for already failing by saying, I'm never going to struggle. I'm never going to have an off day. I'm blah, 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 whatever. I think it just throws you right back into your disorder because then you beat yourself up again mm -hmm. saying, see, like I failed, I suck. And the cycle just continues. So when people go on diets, often I hear uh, they say that they have a cheat day. Okay. So Wednesday is my cheat day. I can overeat or I can undereat or I can eat crap because it's the cheat day. Does that defeat the purpose? Because for example, I know as somebody that smoked for many years, uh, when I quit, I knew that if I had a cheat day, it would be the end of the quitting day, right? It, it, it would just end there. So does that happen with food when you have a cheat day? Do you kind of say, well, yesterday, I ate that yesterday, so today I can. I can do it again. This applies more to overeating, but do you think no, it's a bad it's, thing? It definitely – I actually did the same thing when I was going through my restrictive phases because I was so hungry that I would say, like, okay, I'm going to super undereat all week, and then on Saturday I'm going to allow myself, whether it was even like a cheat day, but I'm going to allow myself – like I'm putting quotes around that mm – -hmm. to eat more. And I think 
the pro <laughs> this is like a diet culture rant, but I'm going to try to keep it like very short. I think the problem is that we give food so much meaning and it's just food. Like, so by saying I'm only going to eat sweet treats on Saturday, you're giving that food power over you and you're giving that food meaning. And subconsciously you're telling yourself that's bad food and I shouldn't have bad food. Bad food makes me bad. Like it's all these narratives that I think diet culture puts. Well, I know diet culture puts into the media that then keep you in cycles of like, I'm never going to eat sugar again. Okay. Well then you're going to crave sugar. Like no one likes to be yes. told that they can never have something. Mm -hmm. But then on cheat days, for example, you're telling yourself that that's bad food and you're not allowed to have cookies except on a cheat day because that makes you bad. Like it's just all these stories. And at the end of the day, I really think that food just never asked to like carry all of this power and carry all of this meaning. And we do the same thing with money. Like we do the same thing with status or fashion. Like it, it has so much meaning behind it that I think that's when it starts to control you. Absolutely. It's, it, it's so true what you just said. Uh, my oh wow! Well. <laughs> so, so uh, your business is basically you're you're the mindset coach because this is all mindset. It's not about the food; it's about the person. So you don't have to fix the food; you just have to fix the person. Uh, what what is the name of the business for one? So, so um, it's sincerely XO Emily coaching. So it's kind of I started as a, my blog, and now I've created the business side of it. Um, and I actually love what you just said. Yeah, to kind of give people an idea of kind of what more of that I do, I actually rarely talk to my clients about food um, because, like I said, the problem is way deeper. So I'm I don't say, hey, you should wake up tomorrow and eat more, or hey, you should wake up tomorrow and eat less. Um, cause I, I was told that it really mm -hmm. didn't change anything. So I do, I deal with more of the, where did this pain initially come from? Where is this food story coming from? Like we kind of just discussed, like, why has this become a problem and how is it showing up in other areas of your life? And I think one of the greatest things that I do for my clients, which once again is not with food is building up their self-confidence and self-certainty because that whole personality profile of someone who struggles with food, it also usually is someone who's, like I've said, a people pleaser, kind of like an overachiever. There's just a certain personality that I've found that is kind of misunderstood when it comes to food. So it's building them up to understand that they're more than just their body. They're more than just their diet. Like they're more than the number under the scales. And when you build all of that, they kind of fix the food themselves. Like, because if, if there's nothing to necessarily like cope with or distract with or disassociate with if there's nowhere that you have to run then there's no reason to use food for that kind of escape mm -hmm. so if you have a kid that you believe is under eating because i know that as a personal experience that uh, i have three kids and every now and then one of them does not want to eat anything that meal And it's not because they don't like it because yesterday they did, right? Today they can say, I don't like this. So <clears throat> we obviously, we don't want them to go to bed hungry, but at the same time, I don't want to force it because I think as a parent, we can somewhat make the per the kid in this case, uh, make them believe that, um, if, for example, if you don't eat everything that's in your plate, um, You're not doing good, right? So now every time, uh, this is just what I think, that every time now the kid grows up for years knowing this, 
Now you have a plateful, you have to eat it all or else you don't feel accomplished because it gets built into you or the opposite will, will work too. So as a parent, what should, should we just let them go? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I actually, I, yeah, I really like that question. I think one of the biggest things that you can do as a parent is on both ends, like we were talking about, one of them is to not bring diet culture into the home. So this is kind of on the opposite end of what your example was, but I have had so many clients where they say they know their food tr like struggles came from their aunt being on a diet when they were four and commenting on their food, right? Mm -hmm. And and having that sort of like good, bad, junky, like I'm being very disciplined, all of these trigger words that diet culture creates around food. I think protecting your kids from using that sort of language around food and yeah, not having a cheat day, right? Not showcasing that food has more power than it does. And on the flip side from the, yeah, clean your plate, kind of like you need to eat every last bite. I think it definitely is just seeing it as an intention. And, and I don't have children, you know, my, myself, but I would definitely say like, if it's happening every single day and they're eating like one bite and then not finishing it, I definitely think then to kind of you know, say like, no, you need to eat more than that. Like that's not enough. And you know that, but every once in a while, having your child honor their hunger is one of the greatest things you can do. Like understanding when they're hungry and when they're full without being told and without measuring and calculating all those things. So I definitely mm -hmm. think it's a balance. And I think, um, yeah, just understanding, just being aware of it as a parent, how you act towards food, I think your children can easily pick up on. And so just protecting them from that. You know, I'm hearing you speak and I'm thinking of how we bribe them with food. As if you go pee in the potty, because there's two of them were being potty trained, the twins. If you pee in the potty, you can get candy, right? You can get a gummy. And yeah, and it's not all bad. Like, I mean, that's, I think like so many people could, they hear what I say sometimes and then they become so hyper aware and they're like, oh my gosh, like I gave them gum. What does that mean? Like, it's not by no means is it all bad. I think actually the kind of like, yeah, giving a gummy if they go to the bathroom or telling them to kind of like finish their plate, just personally from my personal experience, I think that that's better than doing the diet culture language. I think the diet culture language, because a lot of women that I work with who are now emotional eaters or binge eaters, they actually became that way because they dieted. Like they, mm -hmm. like, and that's what happened to me. I fell into the, I have to diet. I have to eat less. I have to only eat good, clean foods, like all of these words again. And then my body was starving and I went the opposite way where all I thought about and craved was just food. So I actually think, yeah, the diets and the diet language is worse um, to have around your children when it comes to food. Awesome. Emily, besides sincerelyxoemily.com, that's the website, uh, where else can people go if they want to know more and contact you and find you? Yeah, so that's actually the best place. My Instagram, email, YouTube, like everything is linked on my website. But my um, email specifically is sincerelyxoemily at gmail. So they can definitely find me there. Perfect. Emily, thank you so much for thank this. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> it, it was a pleasure having you here. And I know for sure there's um, there's people out there that are listening to this that probably need the help. They didn't know. Uh, there. There's a lot of people that don't know there's others like us out there, right? Uh, and but there's we're um, <laughs> we're definitely not unique when it comes to to the mind. Yeah, you're just never alone, and you deserve a life with a good food relationship. For sure, Emily. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>
Thanks for subscribing to FailFast Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and visit FailFastPodcast.com for show notes, Quinn's social media, or even to tell us your story.